0: Afternoons with me, I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully excited about what's ahead for us. I'm looking forward to this time together, and Bob is going to be joining me in just a minute. He's written a wonderful book called The Six Hearts of Intimacy, Enjoy Deeper Love and Passion in Marriage. And I can't wait to get him back on. He's been a guest uh, many times before, and he always is a whole pool of wisdom. And I want to open up the text line too, because I bet you have questions. Maybe something about your marriage something that's going on you, of course you can ask anonymously i won't bring up your name but i will ask him the question so get your questions ready text them over to me at 877 933 2484 again 877 933 2484 so i'm glad we're going to get this started we're going to take 60 seconds and bring on bob
1: This Easter season, get to know Jesus on a deeper level through the Faith Radio Easter Reading Plan. Together, we'll read a chapter of the book of John each day. Starting March 24th, we'll learn exactly why Jesus came to earth, how he conquered the grave and offered us the gift of eternal life. Sign up to read along with us at MyFaithRadio.com and receive weekly emails featuring special content from our show hosts and giveaway opportunities. That's MyFaithRadio.com. The Word of God offers constant wisdom and encouragement. It contains the teachings of Jesus coming directly from the Father and helpful insights into who God is in our daily lives. You can learn more through the Scriptures through the Faith Radio Verse of the Day. Every day you'll receive an encouraging verse and a beautiful image via email that's easy to share. Sign up for the free Verse of the Day at MyFaithRadio.com under the Subscriptions tab or text the word VERSE to 555-888.
0: All right, let's get things started. My guest today is in Southern California. For a Chicago guy, that means a lot because he's looking at palm trees and a blue sky and weather in the 70s, so you know I'm a little jealous. He has uh, written a book with his wife, Cheryl, called Six Hearts of Intimacy. Enjoy deeper love and passion in marriage. And for those who want deeper intimacy, the six hearts attitude point the way to mutual fulfillment. That was written by Dr. Gary Chapman, author of The Five Love Languages. My guest, of course, is Bob Moeller. Bob, welcome back.
2: Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it so much.
0: Yeah, it's always great to have you on the show. You know, I'd love to start our time by having you explain what a counterfeit heart would be.
2: Well, a counterfeit heart is a damaged heart that replaces the true heart that God desires for us to have in marriage. Um the, for example, uh, in our book, the six hearts of intimacy, we talk about the giving heart, and how that uh, God's word really uh, challenges us to joyfully provide, joyfully, not not reluctantly, but joyfully provide for our spouse's needs in you know the very areas, uh, various areas of life, and the opposite of that is the obligated heart, that that you know says, oh, really. You know, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. You're kidding me. Oh boy. And you know, anything that's given with that kind of attitude, where it's obligation or it's self-focus, where it's really just about you, it takes all the joy out of it. And many couples are living um, with counterfeit hearts or the expression of counterfeit hearts and, and don't realize it necessarily, but they just know, you know, what I'm receiving from my spouse is, it just doesn't seem to to satisfy. It just doesn't seem to really meet my need to be loved. And perhaps, um, you know, you just don't realize why you're going through the motions of something, but the fulfillment isn't there. And the, And by the way, the heart is where we give and receive love. And everybody listening today has a heart. And God created your heart. Here's the good news, to give love and to receive it. It was designed factory fresh, uh to be able to do that but sin our bad choices against the character of God the word of God that damages our heart and that 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 is like a virus if you will that gets into the operating system or or pain which is someone else's bad behavior uh blocks our heart or can shut it down or damage parts of it so sin and pain can damage our hearts and the end result is a counterfeit heart in some case where It's not the real thing. It's not the way God wanted it. But the good news is, uh, well, let me read from Psalm 147 today very briefly. Uh, Here's good news for everyone listening. It says, uh, the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls each of them by name. The same God that can name every single star in this vast universe is the same God with the power to bind up your heart. You know, I find that very encouraging.
0: Yeah, me too. So when you talk about a counterfeit heart, is it safe to say that a lot of young, starry-eyed people go into their courtship and their marriage with a little bit of counterfeit heart going? Like if the woman were to say, "Uh, gee, honey, I love watching fishing shows on TV. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> there, yes, yeah, you're, you're presenting there. a little bit of a counterfeit heart, but you're just trying to be so happy and and pleasing and accommodating, and you're excited, but it's not reality,
2: well, you know what they're enjoying is being with the guy, okay, but the activity itself they're not enjoying, okay, so we we might call it you know, um sort of a a, a selective um, appeasement or whatever, where they, um, yeah, I'll do this, but I'll tell you what I do like. I like at a football game in the fall um, when the air is crisp and, you know, the sun is bright sitting next to my boyfriend or fiance and we've got a blanket wrapped around us and we're sitting up in the bleachers watching the gophers or inside with the Vikings, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. I like being with him, which is a good reason to keep doing it. Even if you hate the game, you love the man, and, and I would stay with that program, by the way.
0: Which I, I appreciate. That's a wonderful advice because there's, you know, in, in the beginning of any relationship, there's lots of sales and marketing going on.
2: Yeah, there is. You're presenting, your, you know, your your best foot. Uh, you're, you're presenting your best sell. Um And, you know, what, Instagram and other things have taken that to a whole new level, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's right where you're you're designing the, the perfect smile, the perfect you know whatever <clears throat> and and i my daughter was telling me who's in college was recently telling me about another friend of hers who was going on some kind of crash diet because she had sent this guy who had had this Instagram romance, all these pictures of her you know looking this way, which she had you know uh, photoshopped essentially. And uh, it's not the way she really was. And I feel sad that in this this culture of of social media, um, we have to present not just our best self, but an unrealistic one, one that doesn't even exist. Uh, One that that probably shouldn't even exist. Um, I think couples should date one another long enough. Well, let me tell you the advice I give premarital couples when they come in. I said, tell me about your first big fight. And they look at me at each other and they smile dreamily like, do you want to tell him? No, actually tell him, sweetheart. We don't fight. Don't mm-hmm. you understand, Pastor? We're in love. Yeah. We don't have an argument. And I said, well, if you if you ever were, can you tell me what it would be about? Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> we're not, not ever going to argue. And so I say, well, why don't you wait till you have your first big fight, then come back. And then I'll help you because it won't be smiling dreamily at each other that will, possibly upend your relationship, but we'll be having a fight you can't solve. Mm -hmm. So I think we should date long enough, court romance long enough, so that we do know the other person and their family. Um, Cheryl and I laugh about One of our books was called The Marriage Miracle, and what it meant was the miracle of how God can renew our marriage through a healed heart. But there are people today who, who the marriage miracle is, no, I don't like this about him, and I don't like that about his family. But once we're getting married, it's, it's all going to be good. You know, he's going to change. And my mother-in-law will start liking me or father-in-law or whatever. And I keep saying, well, when does this miracle occur? Uh, you know, wh- when at the wedding does this transformation and everyone take place? You know, the truth is, Bill, it doesn't most of the time. So if you don't like what you get now, it's exactly what you're going to get later. And so if you have questions before you get married and you really, you know, take the time to see if you can resolve it or just, you know, realize, well, this relationship needs to be returned by Mm. Amazon Prime
0: or whatever. Yeah, right. I have to return it. But if you see conflict or difficulty or challenges, don't you just say the Lord will help us navigate through those?
2: Well, yes, that's taking a general truth but failing to understand its specific application. Um, The specific application is the only way out is through Mm -hmm. in any problem in a marriage. But the way through can be messy. The way through can be difficult. It can be painful at times to get through issues because you've got to be honest. You have to be willing to accept criticism. You have to offer forgiveness when you don't feel like it. Um, You have to, in many ways, die to self. And I'm not talking about abusive relationships now. Really, really quickly for every listener that's in an abusive relationship, I'm not saying that, you know, stay in that Mm -hmm. or, you know, just bear with that or whatever. Please, no. You need to find safety. You need to find for now a place where this stops and the marriage can be sad. We see those saved and reconciled, but please don't hear what I'm saying that you should just, you know, the only way out is through Continue to take the beating. No, please don't. By all means, don't. But in most cases, that's not what we're talking about, something that's severe. Um, So yes, the Lord will help us through. But look at all the great people of the Old and New Testament. God didn't take them out of trials. He took them through them. Great point. He didn't take the three guys out of the furnace. He put a fourth one in there, and that was Jesus. Wow. He didn't take Noah out of the flood. He got Noah through the flood. And as we start moving into Lenten season, which we're in now, and, and what he didn't take Jesus away from the cross. He took him through that. And so let's just, let's just remember that that is God's way of doing things, is not to remove our problems when we want them, but to give us the grace to be sustained in the middle of them until they are resolved.
0: Mm-hmm. Bob Mueller is my guest. We're gonna take a little break. When we come back, definitely open to your questions and of course i will ask them anonymously 877-933-2484 is the text line hopefully you can text us i'm sorry i don't have a call operator today but again the text line 877-93-FAITH we'll take a short break and be back with bob moeller in just a minute with Bob Moeller, M-O-E-L-L-E-R. Bob and Cheryl Moeller have written a book called Six Hearts of Intimacy. Enjoy deeper love and passion in marriage. Bob, when it comes to receiving uh, and giving criticism and feedback, is that generally a, a pretty volatile uh, issue when you're talking to couples in counseling?
2: Yes. Um, we give a test called Prepare Rich, um, which I understand from the research can predict divorce up to 80% of the time with accuracy uh, before, uh, ahead of time. And one of the problems that people have, there's the, there's two things, conflict, uh, the ability to resolve conflict, and communication, which will predict a rough marriage if if not a failed one, what we call either a conflicted marriage or a devitalized marriage. Um, And those are the two most important measures on that test would be your ability to communicate and and to solve conflict. And, of course, criticism comes in the midst of that. But here's one of the fundamental things that Cheryl and I believe. There's nothing that needs to be said in a marriage that cannot be said with kindness. In other words, no matter how critical you need to be of your spouse, there is a way to say it with kindness as opposed to sarcasm, as opposed to anger or, you know, whatever else. I, I remember I went to a doctor several years ago for a physical, and I when he was all done and, you know, standing with the clipper, I said, so, you know, how am I doing, doctor? And he said, well, well, pretty good except for one thing. And I go, well, what is that? He goes, you're too short.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I said, what? He goes, you're too short. He said, for your weight. Yeah. He said, you need to be about a foot and a half taller. Uh, now, wasn't that kind?
0: It was kind. I, I thought
2: I thought that was really uh, a great way to. And by the way, I I did have supper with a, a missionary doctor who had been out in the Sahara for forty years. He's one of my lifetime heroes, but he is um, he has uh, the gift of forthrightness. And um, we were having lunch one day, and he looked at me across the table, and he said, "You know, you're obese." <laughs> I was just about, you know, spit out my what again? He goes, You're obese for your weight. You know that, don't you? And um so there's two different approaches to telling me. And yeah. by the way, uh just for truth and advertising, I did lose fifty pounds this year.
0: Congratulations. And
2: so thank you. Yeah. So I, I thank both doctors for the way in which they helped me see reality. But you know, getting back to your question, yeah, we can criticism is usually a problem. And here's a tip that we give couples or some advice where that's turned ugly too many times. Just say to the person, how could I tell you what I'm trying to say in a way that wouldn't hurt your feelings or offend you? How could I say what I'm trying to say in a way that wouldn't be hurtful to you? And, you know, most of us know the answer to that. I mean, the other person can, well, if you'd left this out, if you had affirmed me for this first, if you had said this in a different way, I I think I could have observed or accepted that. So, you know, ask the person, how can I say what needs to be said in a way that, that wouldn't wound you or make you feel rejected, devalued, whatever. And, um, that works, by the way, if you have just said something devaluing or, uh, you know, disrespectful, and you see it on your spouse's face, you can say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I, I think I just said something that was very hurtful. Tell me how I could say what I said uh, in in a non-hurtful way, because it certainly wasn't my intent. And I think 95% of what needs to be said can be rephrased and redone and, and let your spouse guide you in that. And pretty soon you get the idea.
0: Yeah, Bob, is that something you say in advance of saying something that could be hurtful? I need to tell you something, and how can I do it in a way that wouldn't be hurtful, even though you know what you're going to say could be hurtful?
2: Well, yes. It kind of makes the person, you know, uh, anxious like, what are you going to you know, right. drop on me right. at this point? Um, I think the far better way is um, to just observe them over time and to see how and when they accept difficult things without being upset, start paying attention to that. Uh, they're good friends, they're sisters, Their somebody says things they don't seem to get upset. And you could say, hey, you know, they just said this to you, why didn't that upset you? Mm. And they go, well, I know they love me. They tell me all the time. Or I, I know they'd never try and hurt me. Uh, or, uh, you know, usually there's a reason why You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, and and only an enemy uh, multiplies kisses, as Proverbs says. Um, So, you know, you can do that if you have to say, I have to say something, and I don't want it to be difficult. Help me know. Well, that does kind of raise the blood pressure level of everyone, you know, but maybe you have to do that. Better yet, just observe them when they aren't upset either by you or others, when they hear difficult things and drill down a little bit deeper, like, why didn't that upset you? Why weren't you hurt? And they might say, well, it's the way they said it. Or they first told me all the things I do right. And after a while, you'll get it.
0: All right. So if you're going to bring criticism or feedback in this relationship, is there a chance that you're tapping into a woundedness that's never been healed?
2: Well, that's a very good point, Bill. And that, I think is what causes most what I will call overreaction in relationships is that you have touched an open wound, and even though your comment could have been very benign, you know very non-lethal uh because you touched an open wound in their heart, uh suddenly they lit up, and they got very angry and they overreacted. see there's two two ways we will always respond in marriage to one another. We will either well, we'll either respond or we will react. And and response is is good. You you can even say I'm I'm hurt or I'm I'm struggling with what you said. That's a fair response. A reaction is will you just shut up? Or you know leave me alone? Or you are so mean? Okay, well now you know they're reacting. And one of the things we try and help couples do, Bill, is discover their unhealed hurts or, uh, and are the pain words that are associated with them, like abandoned, rejected, criticized, abused. And, and we actually have a pain words worksheet that couples can take. It's very simple. And, and when they discover their own pain words and you discover yours, those immediately become the things we seek to avoid at all costs, uh, injuring or stepping on or aggravating in any way. And what we do instead is try and bless them, affirm them in the area where they've been wounded. If they were neglected, we want to show them attention and tell them, you know, that their needs are so important. If they were abandoned, we want to assure them that they will be secure, that we are going to stay with them. If they were criticized, and you could take any of these, just consider it's polar opposite. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know you've hit pay dirt in a sad way, when your spouse blows up, overreacts, goes a little crazy over something that you didn't mean, you weren't trying to say, but they took, well, there's a, there's a backstory there and there's a lot more underneath it.
0: Mm -hmm. When a response is defensive and you feel like you're getting somebody else's mail, it's like, where did that come from? And you're, you're making a suggestion or you're making a statement and the the spouse w- responds with uh, supreme defensiveness, and you go, boy, that, that does that's I'm not I'm not trying to produce that outcome at all. I just ask kind of a right. simple question. Um, right. What responsibility does the person have who's having this outrageously defensive remark to be more in uh, connected to the to the, to his spouse? I'm not asking well, that well, but you, you know what I think yeah, I, I'm trying I, to get at? I
2: know what you're saying. Do, do we have the right to light up every time someone touches our Thank paint? you.
0: Let's see, well, This is why um, you're the expert.
2: <laughs> um, an expert is just someone that lives 100 miles away. Right. Uh, be, <laughs> so. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, let me go at it from both sides, if I may. Um, one of the things that I do when someone overreacts or I encourage them to do, their spouse is to say, am I, am I the first person that made you, that it hurt you, you know, saying or doing this, or is there a backstory to this? Mm. Um, Did someone in the past hurt you in this way? Did other, and you know what? Yeah. My dad, he always said, I would never amount to anything that I was an idiot. My mom criticized me and said I was ugly. You know, I mean, suddenly you're hearing stuff that is very important actually. No, understanding kidding. who you're married to. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is really important stuff.
0: Yeah, and Bob, let me and, hit pause uh, just because I got, I'm got coming up against a break here that I have no control over, sure. and I want to make sure we we make, make take full advantage of of talking about both sides to this. Bob Muller is my okay. guest. His book is Six Hearts of Intimacy. Enjoy deeper love and passion in marriage. I'll text your questions over 877-933-2484. will be right back. Nice to be back with Bob Muller. He's my guest. His books uh, that he wrote with his wife, Cheryl, is Six Hearts of Intimacy. Enjoy deeper love and passion in marriage. I hit the pause button right before we went to break, Bob. But We're talking about uh, the person who re- reacts very defensively and what responsibility do they have to not react that way when they feel the way they feel.
2: Well, you know, the Bible does talk about that. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And that we, you know, that reckless words, um, harsh words can do great damage to another person. Um, And so, you know, we do have a responsibility to maintain control over our spirit. In fact, the word temperate in the New Testament refers to someone, a cool spirit, um, someone who's able to, you know, maintain a temperate attitude, um, even when provoked, I I think, so the fruit of the spirit does require that we practice self-control even when people have touched our pain. However, I do think at the same time we need to educate or share, be more transparent with our spouse and say, you know, when you criticize me, it it just honestly reminds me so much of what I heard growing up. I, I just never could do anything right. Uh my mom was hard on me, my sister was hard on me, a teacher, you know, something like that. I know I, I probably overreacted to you, I apologize. But what you said did touch something in me that um is 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 part of my heart where it's been wounded. And it takes some well self awareness to realize that. But I don't think, you know, you're you're making it I always differentiate between an excuse and an explanation. I don't think we should offer excuses for our wrong behavior, our sin, certainly. The Bible doesn't excuse it. But I think we can offer explanations uh, sometimes, which are helpful um, to our spouse and to others who know us. When we explain, you know, I know I overreacted and I know I, 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 you know, was so, you know, I I accused you. I, I am very sorry of this. But let me explain why this is so hurtful and difficult for me and, and tell the story or tell the stories. And I think it will be a chance for your spouse to deep, more deeply understand you and to minister and to care for you rather than judge you, you know, for the way you act or whatever. You know, Bill, I am convinced. I'm convinced everybody does what they do for a reason. Mm-hmm. Say more about Unless that. You,
0: Bob. Pardon me? Say more about that really interesting. Um,
2: well, everybody acts, you know, very rarely, unless we're high on CBD or something, <laughs> or I, I don't know, um, we're acting the way we are for a reason. You know, that we, we make the choices we do, we say the words we do, we react to people the way we do for a reason, um, because something in our heart has processed the situation. And in many cases, what we're doing what happens when we grow up say in a dysfunctional home or we grow up in a situation where we aren't loved, we come to believe lies about ourselves. Uh, those lies are you have no value, you're ugly, you can't ever do anything right, you should be able to fix everything. The lies are almost endless. The you know, Sometimes we have a whole page on that we give to people. And what happens is when someone does something to us, It can trigger that lie, and the enemy is there to plant lies in our hearts. Uh, The world, the flesh, and the devil is there to plant lies, and Jesus said he's the father of lies, and when he speaks, he speaks his native language. And from a lie, from a wound will come a lie, and from a lie will will come a damaged emotion Mm -hmm. of some sort, fear, anger, you know, whatever. And from that will come some uh, uh, overreactive behavior. Some dysfunctional behavior, so it all goes back to what we believe about ourselves, and that's where we need to compare the lies we've been told with the Word of God and what He says about who we are in Christ. And that's where, as a spouse, Cheryl will say to me that sometimes, "It's very helpful." I'll be I'll be overreacting, and she'll say, "Bob, you're listening to old tapes. Yeah, um, you know, you're listening to old lies." Once in a while, bless her heart. Uh, my wife is not given to timidity. Um, uh, she will say, Bob, that, uh, can I tell you something? Uh, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And it has sulfur all over it. Mm. She doesn't say that every week, okay? <laughs> yeah. She saves that for special occasions. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but she's right. Yeah. It is a lie. And when we've come to believe lies about ourselves, then our emotions are going to be all these damaged ones. And then our actions are going to be just the opposite of what we should do. So the battle really becomes, you know, for what is the truth in our lives and what lies do we need to let Jesus remove.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a couple of questions uh, shown up on the text line, Bob. A uh, listener says, my wife and I have been getting into a habit of checking out from each other with our cell phones, it seems like an obvious answer. But wondering if you had some good ideas to get out of that habit.
2: Um, you mean they're checking out in the sense that uh, they just don't pay attention to each other, or what?
0: Yeah, that's what the impression I'm getting. They sort of check out. They're in each other's presence, but they can reach for the phone, and everyone's looking at yeah. their phone, and they're they're now together, but they're uh-huh. not together. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's becoming all too um, common, even in, you know, marriages where there aren't, you know, serious problems. Well, realize that when you're ignoring each other, back to what I said a minute ago, you're doing it for a reason. Um, You're interacting with your phone rather than your spouse, probably because it would be less enjoyable, less pleasurable, less something for the two of you to be interacting uh, with each other. I do think um, couples, even couples that are doing fairly well, need to um, deliberately turn off their phones and, you know, go off the grid for an hour or two with each other during the day. So it's not a temptation.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: I think that's really, I I think just as a matter of self-discipline. Okay. um, There was a Swedish study. Done by some high school students that um, uh, showed that if you leave your cell phone next to some Kia seeds, um, they will <laughs> not grow. <laughs> uh, <All right. laughs> but if you, if, if when they put the Kia seed, the phone in a different room, they did. And it was <laughs> some Swedish institute picked this up, and they're studying why. But let's just agree that the the the, the waves, the microwaves, or whatever from the phone can damage you uh, not only physically but emotionally and, and spiritually in the sense that you're preoccupied with that. I think that uh, the most important, one of the most important things a couple can do every day is connect eye to eye, which means you put everything down, all your distractions. You look across the kitchen table or wherever you are, the coffee uh, booth, and you talk looking in one another's eyes. And um, that is when our hearts really do connect, you know, with one another. And if a couple isn't able, if they're checking out from each other, it's because um, one or the other are both um, are communicating, I think, painful, uncomfortable things to each other, may not be meaning to do it, and that really deserves a conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. It's something so powerful about the eyes, isn't it, Bob?
2: It's the window of the soul, Jesus.
0: Yeah. I mean,
2: if your eye is filled with light, the whole body is filled with light. Yeah, I'm, but if your eyes have darkness, then how great is that darkness?
0: Yeah, it's like when you see a, an old friend uh, from high school, maybe that you've known for a long, long time, and they physically look so different. But you see them and you go, "Oh, you just haven't changed a bit." And what you mean is, I look into your eyes and I'm I'm still seeing my friend.
2: Yes. Yes, the eyes communicate such a po- powerful. I think they're a direct expressway to the heart. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we, we coach couples to hold hands and speak to each other's heart by looking in the eye and saying words of love and words of assurance and words of comfort. I mean, it is transformational what happens when people start to do that. And of course, when you were young and you know, infatuated with one another. Didn't you do that for hours at a time?
0: (laughs) That was the easiest thing in the world to do. All right, here's another question from a listener. What are your thoughts regarding denomination differences? Are there ways to compromise?
2: Yes, I get that from, you know, time to time as well. Um, Probably, you know, in, in a perfect world, those would have been resolved or addressed prior to getting married. And understanding that that would, you know, be a problem. Um, I'll just give you the short answer to that. I think that God desires oneness in a marriage, that he desires unity, that he wants us to worship together, to laugh together, to eat together, to pool our financial resources. I get real nervous when people have married couples have too many uh, separateness items between them. It's just too easy to let that um, begin to metastasize till where you don't um, have anything in common anymore. What I would do in this case, uh, if it were at all possible, would be for the two of you to seek a place where you both are comfortable, meaning you both might have to leave your denomination. Mm-hmm. You both might have to give up where you were raised and, and where you're—so that the two of you could both say, you know, at this church, I'm okay. I'm, Are you? Yes, I am, too. And I think you should keep looking and praying until you find that. Um, I realize others may not understand. Your parents may be hurt or grandparents and, you know, your tradition and all that you were raised. But listen, what God has joined together, let no man separate, including the denomination. Um, I don't now. when you're getting to one's a believer, one's not a believer. Okay. Well, now you're in, you know, yeah. you're in a little bit more of a difficult, um, uh, you're, you're in choppier seas in that case. And there's a way through that too, I, I believe. But for, for couples where, you know, the denominational differences are, are rather it become a sore point. I, I really think that humility unselfish, let's both seek a place where we feel that our souls are nourished, where, you know, we can worship God and He speaks to us. And and I believe that place is out there, because God is not a God of division.
0: Mm, Great answer, Um, Bob. Thank you for that. When you talk about a counterfeit heart, and now I'm curious, when I think of the great counterfeiter, which is Satan, he must have um, a constant. Uh, desire to break up families and stop marriages and create chaos and havoc. So there has to be an intentional um, time of being grounded in the Lord in a, in the marriage, so you can you can have the the guards up and the and the 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 hedge of protection around your relationship.
2: Oh yeah, and um, we have to understand that. Um, Satan is in the business of uncreating what God has created. Yes. And, and God created male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, become united to his wife, and become one flesh. And um, it's a miracle what happens when a couple is married. The two literally do become one in God's eyes. And what God has joined together, let no man... Well, Satan looks at that and says, I am going to separate that. Mm-hmm. I am going to uncreate that. But it's I, I, when, when I'm talking to a couple about this subject, and it's a good question, I'll say, you know, getting married is like baking a cake. I don't know that anyone bakes anymore, but my mother used to, and you'd put flour and eggs and vanilla or cocoa and other things, baking soda, baking powder... And you'd mix it all together, put it in the oven for 30, 45 minutes, and out would come a delicious cake. And I think what what people today want to do in some cases is, and and Satan is certainly the one who would would encourage this, is, um, okay, this cake has been baked, but I I want my eggs back. I want my flour back. (laughs) Um, I want the salt back. You know, I've decided I don't like this, or this isn't working as well as I thought. I want it back. You can't get it back. I mean, you can, I, I guess, legally so, and otherwise. But um, the truth of the matter is, the the cake has been baked, and that's just because God did a miracle when you got married. Two people entered the congregation or the sanctuary and whatever, and one walked out. Um, it's a it's a new creation, and I think we have to understand the the battle is to un. It isn't that Satan is against happy marriages because he just doesn't want to see people happy. Well, you know, that'd be true. But it's more because marriage was meant to reflect Christ in the church. Mm -hmm. And he wants to mar the image of Christ in the church until it's no longer recognizable.
0: All right, Bob, let me take one more break. Bob Moeller is my guest. His book that he wrote with his wife, Cheryl, is The Six Hearts of Intimacy. Enjoy deeper love and passion in marriage. Still have time for a few more questions. Let me know what they are. I can ask anonymously, 877-933-2484. Back to the show. Bob Muller is my guest. His book is called "The Six Hearts of Intimacy." Wrote that with his wife Cheryl. Enjoy deeper love and passion in marriage, Bob. When you're talking to couples in your in your uh, counseling office, is the absence of uh, passion in their marriage something that comes up often?
2: Well, yes, um, most often. You know that will be. Uh, manifested in the lack uh, of an inadequate or disappointing sexual relationship mm-hmm. in the marriage, is that there doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, much passion left. And our attitude is, our belief, is that sex is a thermometer, not a thermostat. In other words, a lack of passion is not the cause of problems, it's the result. Um And so uh, a thermostat will change the temperature of a room. It will make it warmer. It will turn on the air conditioning. A thermostat just tells you what the temperature is, whether it's hot, cold, or somewhere in between. And many times a lack of of passion. Well, um, that itself is a thermometer. It will tell you that this relationship is going cold or the embers are dying down. But it doesn't explain why. And that's where you have to begin looking at um, why are we disconnected here? Um, Why aren't our hearts able to be intimate with one another the way that we used to be and, and be so drawn to each other? And, of course, I think that gets back to the fact that often we have damaged and wounded hearts either by sin or by pain. And the reason I know that or believe that so strongly is when couples resolve those issues in our office, uh, the passion between them is often ignited um, right in front of me. Um, often they'll come back and tell me about the passion, and, you know, let's come back into their marriage and I'll go, yeah, okay, I don't need any details, just general is good enough, you know, spare <laughs> mm-hmm. too much information, don't need that, just give me, you, things are better, right? Yeah, things are better. Well, what's happened is, as their hearts have connected, see, I, I have this, this deep conviction that love was meant to last for a lifetime, and that when you marry somebody, the love that you have between each other and the passion is a natural state of being, not an unnatural. And what is unnatural is when a wall is built between you that douses the passion through sin and pain. That's an unnatural state to be in. Now, most people, many people live in that, so they think, well, that's just the way marriage always is. That's just the way we are, and that's at most we can expect. No, because this is what happens. This is one of the marriage miracles, when Jesus forgives our sin and heals our pain, and the wall comes down. People get crazy in love with each other again, often, mm-hmm. and the passion gets reignited. See, it was always there. It was just dammed up. It was just being prevented from flowing. Mm-hmm. And you take down the walls, and the river flows. Yeah, and that's that's exciting to me. to to know that God gave us a heart where our love for our spouse and our passion was was good for a lifetime. It didn't have a 10-year, you know, warranty or a 20, Mm -hmm. but a lifetime one. And if it's not happening, it's probably because it's being blocked, not because it doesn't exist.
0: Bob, you say in your book, to protect the integrity of your relationship, you must be forever vigilant. What does that mean?
2: Well, what it means is uh, we have an enemy who is watching our marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 says we're not to deny one another in the sexual area of of our marriage, for example, lest we give Satan an opportunity, you know, lest he, he outwit us in his schemes, you know, whatever. And what I tell people is, you know, not only is God watching your marriage, but so is the devil. Hmm. Um you know, that if not only is God day by day observing us, so is, so is our enemy. And we must put on the armor of God. We must be vigilant to protect our thought life, uh, what we look at, um, the situations we put ourselves in, um, the rules with which we engage members of the opposite sex. Let, let me give your listeners today something I have found so tremendously helpful and I just pass it on for that reason. Just ask yourself every time you're tempted in any way, but particularly let's say in the sexual area, um, what would be the long-term impact on this person and on me? The long-term impact, if I were to follow through in any way with this. In the long-term, the truth is you would damage them, you would ruin their life, you would cause uh, irreparable harm, you would destroy trust among and if we would moment by moment, during the day, even say to the Lord, "Help me to remember, in the long run, what will happen if I think this way or I look a second time at this, or in any way start compromising my my standards or my my- God, my integrity or whatever, this other person, you will do them harm. I guarantee you'll do them harm." And that itself, if you let the Holy Spirit speak to you, can be enough to break the fantasy, can can be enough to snap the chain of thought that's going in, in a bad place. Because long term, anything that's sinful will damage or ruin another person, including ourselves. Anything that's godly or right will bless them. And so Satan is always about the immediate, instant gratification, immediate this, whatever. He is never about the long game. And the way to arm ourselves is to play the long game
0: every day. Okay. So when we've got problems, and then we only have a couple minutes left, so this is kind of a big question towards the end. How do we best do peacemaking when we need to make peace?
2: Um, okay. Well, in peacemaking, um, let's just talk about if you've done something you shouldn't have done, as opposed to a problem you're trying to resolve. Okay. If you haven't done something, if you've done something you shouldn't have done, there's five e v steps to making pain, uh, peace. Five. It, uh, let me say simple, not easy. They're they're simple. They're not easy to do. Uh, you, five R's. Take responsibility. I did it. Number two show remorse. I'm sorry I did it. Number three, demonstrate repentance. I won't do it again with God's help. Number four, make it right if you can. That's called restitution. And number five, make a request. Will you accept my apology? So you want to take responsibility, show remorse, engage in repentance, offer restitution, and make a request. When you are making peace, those five steps are vital. It's a pretty if good... someone else
0: It's a pretty useful letter, the letter R.
2: It is. Yeah, it's from Gary Chapman's book, The Five Languages of an Apology. Yeah. Um, Great, great material. If you are just trying to solve a problem between the two of you that you cannot resolve, um, I just say, number one, you know, you got to define what the problem is to offer all the possible solutions you can think of. Don't criticize them as you both can freely offer ideas. You're brainstorming, you're name storming. You, You don't have to. And then number three, begin to select those that would work for both of you. And once you find solutions that both of you That'd be a win-win that both of you could buy into, then mutually support it. Even if it's the wrong solution, you'll not be mad at each other because you'll have agreed you both thought it was the right thing to do, and you've just learned from it. Yeah. But you won't be pointing fingers.
0: Bob, we just have a minute left. I want to send the listeners to 4keepsministries.com. dot com. And there's a, some great resources there, and there's a couple of events coming up that people can just be aware of maybe they can't attend, but they have a friend or relative in the area that could uh, get to one of your events.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Our website has an online store for some resources. It lists our um, coming events and hopefully before too long, we're going to have a weekly live streaming program as well once a week. So uh, people can be looking for that.
0: That'd be that'd be great, Bob. Thank you so much for taking your time today in sunny California to uh, do the show and well, my best to you, your wife, Cheryl.
2: Thank you so much. Yes, really I really appreciate it. You've been an Bob, honor.
0: Bob, Bob Moeller has been my guest. His book is called The Six Hearts of Intimacy Enjoy Deeper Love and Passion in Marriage. And his his website is 4 com. If you want to go check that out, that wraps up uh, our time with Bob. We'll take a short break and be right back with hour two.